Welcome to the Jewish Lives Podcast, a monthly show by Jewish Lives, the prize-winning biography series published by Yale University Press and the Leon D. Black Foundation. I'm your host, Alessandra Wallner. Today, we're looking at the first prime minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion. In the second part of the show, I'll sit down with Anita Shapira, recipient of the prestigious Israel Prize and author of the Jewish Lives biography, Ben-Gurion, father of modern Israel. If you like what you hear, rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a friendly review. Thank you in advance. You can learn more about our books at jewishlives.org. Join us as we explore the Jewish experience together. David Ben-Gurion liked to argue that history is made by the masses, not individuals. And yet, his own influence on the birth of the State of Israel was profound. In the wake of the Holocaust and World War II, he became Israel's first prime minister, the father of a nation. And Time magazine named him one of the 100 most important people of the 20th century. David Ben-Gurion was born David Green in Plonsk, Poland in 1886. He was an ardent advocate of Zionism who immigrated to Palestine at age 20. Upon arrival, he promptly changed his surname to the Hebrew Ben-Gurion and directed his efforts towards building a Jewish state. Ben-Gurion knew what it took to make the Jewish state possible. It was Ben-Gurion who turned a modest labor party into an ambitious national movement and won the United States popular support for the Zionist cause. It was Ben-Gurion who secured financing to create a full national army and orchestrated a mass immigration of Jews from around the world, including from Arab countries, to populate the new Jewish state. Fittingly, it was also Ben-Gurion who announced Israel's independence on May 14, 1948. His political career spanned four decades. Ben-Gurion served as Israel's first prime minister, minister of defense, and... Prime Minister again. To take a community of 600,000 and to adapt its institutions and resources to what would become in his lifetime a country of over 2 million, nobody else has done that in history. That was Abba Iban, who served as Minister of Education and Culture under Ben-Gurion on Ben-Gurion's remarkable achievement and impact in office. In Israel, in order to be a realist, you must believe in miracles. Ben-Gurion made this declaration during an interview for CBS in 1956. Nearly 75 years after Israel's founding, Ben-Gurion's vision continues to this day. 
discover an insightful study of the inner life of the Zionist leader responsible for the creation of the State of Israel in Ben-Gurion, Father of Modern Israel by Anita Shapira. Save 25% plus get free shipping. For a limited time only, use code BENGORION, all one word, at checkout. Only at jewishlives.org. And, Jewish Lives fans, I've got another great podcast to tell you about. People of the Pod is a weekly podcast analyzing global affairs through a Jewish lens, brought to you by the American Jewish Committee. Recent guests include Deborah Lipstadt, Pete Buttigieg, and Natan Sharansky. With diverse perspectives, exclusive stories, and interviews with high-profile newsmakers, People of the Pod brings the events of the day from America, Israel, and around the world directly to you. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app to make sure you never miss an episode. A new one drops every Thursday. Learn more at ajc.org slash people of the pod. Hi, Anita Shapira, and welcome to the Jewish Lives Podcast. Thank you. My first question is about a way that David Ben-Gurion was often described. He was called history's gift to the Jewish people. What was at the core of this praise? First of all, he was called by this definition only by his very best praise that tried to make people realize before Ben-Gurion became the Ben-Gurion that this person that at that time was considered just one of the politicians, of the leaders of the Jewish community in Palestine, is actually something much more than that. What happened later on actually vindicated the definition of Berkatz and Nelson of Ben-Gurion as a person that changed Jewish history. And you also write that Ben-Gurion had a great sense of the moment, and he knew just when to take action. So I wanted to ask you about when this instinct first came into play for him. At the beginning of Ben-Gurion's career, he did not show a sense of history. For instance, he thought that the allies of the Zionist movement would be the Ottomans, and they are going to win the First World War, which is not exactly showing pre-science of history. But from the late 30s and more than the early 40s, when he arrives to what I call his wondrous decade that starts around 41, 42, and goes on until 52, the decade in which he changed Jewish history and became the unbelievable visionary of what's going to happen. I'll give you an example. Early 42, a few months after the United States joined the war, when in Russia the Nazi forces were almost taking over uh, Moscow, Ben-Gurion wrote to his daughter, that after the Second World War, 
there are going to be just two superpowers in the world, the United States and Soviet Russia. At that time, nobody thought in these terms, and the status of Britain, fighting Britain, was very much appreciated. So here is a first instance in which he showed his capability of historical vision. And what was his attitude towards Palestinian Arabs? At the beginning of the 20s, Ben-Gurion believed that the conflict between Jews and Arabs can be defined in class terms. It was a class struggle between Jewish workers and the Arab landowners and clergy, and the national allies of the Jewish workers would be the Arab workers that would be educated by Jews, etc., etc. But in 1929, there was an uprising of Palestinians, and at that moment, Ben-Gurion realized that the struggle is not a class struggle, but it is a clash between two national movements. One thing Ben Goran was famous for as well were these rhetorical double formations. And I wanted to ask you about one that had to do with Israeli national identity. He wrote, There is nothing the Jewish people yearned for more over hundreds of years than a Jewish state. And there was nothing the Jewish people was less qualified for than a Jewish state. What made him say that? One thing was he lived in the shadow of the Holocaust. And he had the feeling that the people for which Zionism was intended did not exist anymore. The second point was he was very much worried by the fact that the Jews who came to Israel in the early years came from various countries, spoke various languages, did not share the same culture. How are going these people to integrate and be capable of establishing a viable state? Now, this was the thing that worried him all his life. Now, we have to remember that there was no Jewish independence for the last 2,000 years. And the Jews were famous by their disputations, their factionalism. Would they be capable of throwing away their, I would say, anarchism, inbuilt anarchism, and be capable of reaching a consensus and establishing a state? This was his great anxiety. And what would you say was the pinnacle of his long political career? I think, of course, the proclamation of independence on May 14, 1948. And we have to understand that the circumstances where this decision was taken were extraordinary. It was a decision that was taken three years after the Holocaust just three years, against the advice of General Marshall, the Secretary of the United States, the Foreign Secretary of the United States. And Marshall said, 
you are going to lose the war and we are not going to bail you out. And this, the second conclusion was also almost said by the military leaders of the young state into being. They said 50-50%. Now, you have to take a gamble. Would this gamble succeed or not? Ben-Gurion was willing to take calculated risks. And in this moment, he gambled on the future of the Jewish people. Could the state of Israel have been founded without him? I have my doubts. I have my doubts that the decision to go to war, to send young people to sacrifice their lives, was not taken by Jews since the Bar Kokhba revolt in the second century. So who would take the responsibility for such a move? It was only his iron will that made the difference. What would you say was the most controversial aspect of his career? I would say that his decision to shell the munition ship Altalena on the shore of Tel Aviv, which meant a fight between Jewish factions when the state was two weeks old, was one of the most controversial decisions of his. He really took this decision because he believed that in order to make once and for all that there is just one source of authority in the state, and this is the democratic government, he was willing to share that ship and 14 Jews were killed by Jewish soldiers. So in the same vein of controversy, there were two world figures that Ben-Gurion admired who could not have been more different, Vladimir Lenin and Winston Churchill. What lessons did he take from these two very different men? I would say from Lenin, he learned the importance of being one-track-minded to concentrate on the goal. With Lenin, it was the revolution. With Ben-Gurion, it was Jewish statehood. And in order to achieve that, you are willing to sacrifice almost everything. Now, with Churchill, he learned a completely different lesson. He learned that a democratic regime can withstand existential crisis and to come out the winning one. Now, he admired his resolve, his fighting spirit, his willingness to make sacrifices, but to lead the British people through the most terrible days of crisis in 1940. And for him, it was a lesson that he In crucial moments, sometimes a leader that is courageous, wise, and resolved can make the difference between a victory or defeat. And this is the lesson that he learned from Churchill. What do you think Ben-Gurion would think of Israel today? I think he would be, on the one hand, 
very elated by the development of the young state, by the 8 million people that live in Israel, by the startup nation, etc., the development, everything. On the other hand, he would be very worried about the disintegration of internal solidarity, the factionalism and the the hatred between parties. And he would feel that the citadel that he established is tottering. And this would worry him very, very much. I end all the interviews by asking people if they could talk to their subject, what they would say. But you did talk to your subject. You did meet Ben-Gurion once. You said you walked away with him not having answered your question that you went to see him to talk about. But if you could talk to him again or do that visit over, what would you ask him or say to him? I would tell him that his decision to postpone the legislating a constitution was a mistake because he postponed it because he wanted to avoid a clash between religious and non-religious Jews. But the clash came anyway, and today we are split almost in the middle between the religious and the non-religious, and it's one of the things that threatens the viability of the state of Israel. Well, I wonder what he'd have to say in response to that. But for now, I'm going to say to you, thank you, Anita Shapira, for joining me to talk about your book, Ben-Gurion, Father of Modern Israel. Thank you, Ellie, for interviewing me. It was a pleasure. The Jewish Lives podcast is made possible by the Leon D. Black Foundation. Special thanks to our partners at Yale University Press, Jewish Lives Editorial Director Eileen Smith, Series Editors Anita Shapira and Stephen J. Zipperstein, Managing Director Rebecca Keyes, and to Linda Brennan and Ruby Elliott Zuckerman. The Jewish Lives podcast is hosted and produced by me, Alessandra Wallner. Our music is composed by Barry J. Cohen. Groucho Marx once said, Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Learn more about our books at jewishlives.org.